Genesis 11, 1 through 10. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. These are the generations of Shem. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sally. For a good chunk of this summer, what we're doing is we're looking at uh, what we're calling the Bible's greatest hits, kind of these, the most famous, the most popular stories in the Bible. And one of the reasons why we're doing that is because when something, when something becomes familiar, people tend to stop paying attention to it. It just becomes kind of white noise. And then you, you, you miss how shocking or alarming something can actually be because it becomes just kind of, uh, you know, background. Uh, th- this is, uh, you know, it reminds me of the first time that you may have ever paid attention to the lyrics of the song, If You Like Pina Coladas. You know that song? You know, you've sung that song a million times. If you like pina You think it was a song about pina coladas and about getting caught in the rain. It's not. You pay attention to the lyrics of that song, and you're like, okay, wait, wait a minute. So this song is telling a story about a man who's reading the newspaper, and he sees a personal ad taken out by a woman who is looking for somebody who likes pina coladas and is not into yoga, and he says... I am going to cheat on my current girlfriend and respond to the personal ad and meet up with this woman. And he does, only to discover that the woman is his girlfriend. And so, not only was he cheating on her, she's cheating on him, and when they discover that they've both betrayed each other, that they've both been cheating on each other, they don't feel angry at each other, they don't feel ashamed that they've been caught, As the song ends, they laugh because they'd never realized that each other likes pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. And you hear the song and you pay attention to it and you're like, what? What what is happening with this song? I don't understand. But my point is, when something becomes just familiar, you miss how alarming it can be. And that's the same way with a lot of these stories that are, are just kind of permeated in kind of church culture. In fact, a lot of these stories are just permeated into the, the wider culture as well. We know about Adam and Eve. We know about David and Goliath. And yet, we kind of roll our eyes at these stories. And then when you slow down and pay attention to them, you realize, oh my goodness, these stories are dead on. 
in their assessment of the human condition. And in fact, the the story we're going to look at this morning, the story of the Tower of Babel, is uh, it's weird and yet so insightful about the quest that every single one of us is on for significance and for purpose and for an identity. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this story under three headings. I want to look at the, the search for glory, which is, I think is kind of a bundled word for, for longing for security and significance, glory. Uh, the search for glory, the flaw in that search, and then uh, thirdly, the key to true glory. So the search, the flaw, and the key. That's what we'll look at. So first, uh, the search for glory. The story begins by zooming in on a group of people that uh, migrate from the east. You see that in verse 2. There's a, there's a, and these people, they migrated from the east. Now, the Hebrew there uh, can also be translated, and I think it's probably better translated, that they migrated to the east. They, they're, they're heading eastward. Why that even matters, I think, is, is uh, because so far in the book of Genesis, anytime somebody rebels against God, anytime they don't want anything to do with God, they start heading east. So in, uh, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they rebel against God, and they're banished from the garden, and they go east. This is why, um, you know, where Steinbeck got his um, title from his book, East of Eden. Uh, Genesis 4, you have Cain murdering his brother, and then he leaves the presence of God, and he goes east. There's this trajectory of rebellion eastward, which means, according to the Bible, you're rebelling against God if you live in East Memphis. It's, it's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. I'm joking. This is a kid. I'm kidding. I know this, I know this is a sensitive subject, but I'm joking clearly joking. Um, but the point is, is that the story is, is, is setting it up to show you, okay, these are people that have said to God, we don't want anything to do with you. We want to do life on our own. We're not interested. Thanks, but no thanks. But what I want you to notice is that, okay, so they delete God from their lives and they immediately start getting to work. They get busy building stuff. They build three things. First thing they build, look at verse 3. It says, come, let us make bricks. Now, why are they making bricks? They're making bricks because they want to build a city. You see that in verse 4. Come, let us build ourselves a city. Now, the benefits of cities in an ancient context was because cities had walls around them, and walls and cities provided security, provided safety. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting security. There's nothing wrong with building cities. But if you look at the end of verse 4, The reason why they wanted to build a city was, quote, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They did it so that they wouldn't be scattered. But what's fascinating about this is is all throughout Genesis, God is telling his people, fill the earth, scatter, go out there. I want every square inch of the planet to be filled up with my images. And these people said, "Eh, that feels vulnerable. That feels risky to go out there on our own, so we're going to clump together. Let's gather together, congregate together, and we'll feel safe and secure. That's the first thing they do. They build a city. Second thing they build, verse 4, let us build ourselves a tower with its top in the heavens. 
Now, the tower wasn't just to build a cool-looking structure so that they could say, wow, this is really cool. They, they built this tower so that it would reach up to the heavens, so that it was in some ways kind of like a, a ladder ascending up to, to the divine. This, this is a quest for transcendence. This is human beings who are, who are literally trying to work their way up to get in touch with ultimate reality. They want to get in touch with something spiritual, and so they build a giant tower. That's the second thing they do. The third thing they want to build that they want to make for themselves, you see it in verse 4, let us make a name for ourselves. Now, a name is, of course, who you are. That's your identity. Uh, in Genesis, actually in the Bible as a whole, when, whenever somebody names something or names someone, it implies that, that the namer has authority over the person that's being named. So earlier in Genesis, God names Adam. Adam doesn't name himself. God has authority over Adam. God names him. And then God gives Adam the authority to name plants and animals. Uh, God gives humanity authority and dominion over the earth, as it were. Parents name their children. And so you, you see these, this authority structure of naming kind of throughout. And then here you have this shift where people say, we want to name ourselves. We want to have authority over us. We don't want our identity to be given to us. We want our identity be, to be self-manufactured, self-created. We want the authority to do with our lives what we want to do with our lives. So here's what I want you to see. You step back and you see these three things that they're building. They're, they're longing for security. They're longing for uh, spirituality. They're longing for significance. Bundled together, they're longing for glory. But what's, what's fascinating is that they have removed God from the equation, but that doesn't erase the desire, which shows you that those desires are innate in every human being, whether or not you believe in God, whether or not you want God involved in your life. Every human being longs for security and stability. We long to get in touch with ultimate reality, transcendence. We long to have an identity and name for ourselves. But here's the deal. If you remove God from the equation, if you go eastward, as it were, if you do life on your own, your only option to get those things is to work for them. Your only option to get in touch with, the, with glory is that it's on you. You better work hard to get those things. And here's what I mean. Let's just break it down. Think about security. If you want, if you want security right now in your life, uh, you better get to work. You want job security? Uh, you better work really hard, work your way up uh, the corporate ladder, and make yourself indispensable to your organization. Uh, or you better uh, publish enough and work long enough to where you're tenured and you have job security. Or if you want actual physical security, you want home security, uh, well, you're going to need to work hard enough to get enough money to not live on the streets to buy a home or to rent a home. And if you want to live in a, a nice part of the city or a safer part of the city, you're going to need to work even more because that's going to cost a lot more money. It's going to cost a lot more money if you want to live in a gated community. All of that stuff takes money. And money takes work, 
which means if you want security, you better get after it. You better get busy. What about the second thing? Uh, transcendence. If you want to get in touch with ultimate reality and, and you're not really interested in believing the God of the Bible, that means that it's on you. You, you better get to work. You better uh, listen to the right podcast, read the right books, uh, practice meditation, do the work so that you, your, your inner being is, is open and accessible to being able to touch you know, the divine, as it were. If you want to get in touch with transcendence, um, uh, you, you may need to go to a different location, go to the mountains, go to the beach, go to the desert, Grand Canyon, whatever, some place that brings you outside of yourself. You know, some people try to get in touch with transcendence through uh, recreational drugs, psychedelics, all that stuff costs money, all that, anything, all that stuff requires work. It's on you if you want to get in touch with the divine. What about uh, an identity? You want to make a name for yourself in your profession, in your field? Yeah, get to work. Hope that you work hard enough to be noticed. Hope that you work hard enough to be, uh, to be promoted. Uh, work, work hard enough so that maybe you get discovered. Maybe you get published. Uh, maybe you develop a following online. And, uh, you know, you're just telling the world, click like and subscribe. It requires work. You're going to have to work to build a name for yourself. So this is the point. The point is, is that we're all searching for this. And we're all building this in lots of different ways. And you may hear all that and think, okay, so? Like, what's the problem? Everybody longs for glory. That's not, nothing wrong with that. And everybody's going out and getting it. What, what's the problem? I don't see the problem here. Okay, well, let's look at that secondly. What is the flaw in this kind of quest, this search that we're all on? Well, I'll go back to the story. Look at verse 5. It says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Now, that's intended to be a joke. It's intended to be humorous. The, the author of Genesis is trying to show you how, how far down God had to go. It's like, oh, you think, oh, you're building this awesome, majestic tower that's reaching up to the heavens, and God has to climb all the way down just to see it. That's how minuscule and pitiful it really is. But that's kind of the joke. That's the idea. It's that you, God is way more transcendent than we think he is, and our attempts to climb up to him are way more pathetic than we think. It's like watching a, a, a toddler trying to dunk a basketball on a 10-foot rim. It's like, bro, you, you're like not even close. This is... You're, th way off. But keep going. Look, look what happens next. Verse 6, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech." God's saying this, look, if, they are, if these people are willing to do something this outlandish, to actually try to build a tower up to heaven, if, if they're doing something that's so over the top that they're actually trying to name themselves, then that means there's nothing they won't try to do. Their rebellion will know no ends. So God intervenes. 
and he steps in and he confuses their language and he scatters them and he, he, he shuts down the building project. It's kind of like um, if somebody is standing in a log cabin and uh, they, they set the log cabin on fire, they, they, they set the living room on fire and the blaze starts going up. That decision is not only going to destroy the cabin, but it's also going to destroy them because they're in it. And so when the rescue team shows up, the rescue team's gonna rush in and extract the person from this mess that they just created for themselves. That's what God's doing here. He's intervening, he's saving them from themselves. He says, look, if you are really gonna seek after glory apart from me, it is gonna be this, it's gonna be a dead end. And so I'm gonna shut it down before you even really get going with it. And in fact, the, the, the sad irony of this whole story is really how it ends in verse 9. Because what happens in verse 9, these, here's this group of people that they wanted a name, and they got a name. But the name they got was Babel, which means confusion. They wanted their name to be awesome, and they got a name of shame instead. They sought after glory, and instead they got shame. And then you notice at the end that when they're scattered, they're dispersed, they sought after security and safety, and instead they got fragility. They got insecurity. And this is the point. The point is, is that when you are building and seeking and clamoring and searching after glory apart from God, the destination is always fragility, confusion, insecurity. You don't get the thing that you wanted. In fact, I could give you um, tons of examples. I won't. I'll give you one, an, an example of how this actually fleshes out in modern life. Years ago, you, you remember Madonna? She's kind of fallen out. She's not in vogue anymore. But, um, but at one point, she was, you know, this pop icon. And years ago, when she was at the height of her career, she did this interview. And here's what she said in this interview. It's fascinating. She says, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody and my struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Now, that's a very honest, very insightful statement, but here's what she's saying. Who I am is wrapped up in what I do, and so I go out there, and I perform, and I make a name for myself, and it worked. I became somebody, uh, I, you know, mega pop superstar, and that was awesome, but the problem is, is that tomorrow's coming. And tomorrow means I gotta do it again. And now the pressure is on because now I have to reinvent myself, otherwise I'm gonna be mediocre and uninteresting. I'm gonna fall out, of, people are not gonna care about who I am, I'm gonna lose all my fame, I'm gonna lose all my popularity unless I maintain it. And the way I maintain it is I gotta keep doing something interesting, I gotta reinvent myself, I gotta do something shocking, I gotta do something to keep the attention on me because that's the only way that I know I'm somebody. 
do you see how fragile of an identity that is? Do you, do you, do you see how, how insecure the foundation of her soul is to say, that's who I am, and my struggle has never ended? I, I'm not making fun of her. I, I'm trying to sh- have her voice be the one that uh, opens up our eyes to what's going on inside of our hearts. I mean, does that resonate with you like it resonates with me? Let's say for your particular field, you feel this idea of, I want to go out and I want to crush it. I want to be the man. I want to be the woe man. I want to just, I want to go excel. And let's say you do. Let's say you go out there and you you climb, climb up to the top and you're the top of your game. That's wonderful. The challenge is if, if that is uh, what you are thinking is filling your soul, tomorrow is coming. And that means tomorrow the pressure is on to maintain that status. You better keep it up. Otherwise, you'll fall from glory. You'll fall from the pinnacle. And then you look down at all these people beneath you who are younger than you, that they're, they're too climbing up the ladder, and they're young, and they're scrappy, and they're hungry, and they got their eyes on your job. And they're coming for you, and so pressure's on. You better maintain. You better not mess up. You better not fall off. And you feel the pressure, and it feels like you're on a hamster wheel, and that's why so many of us are just running and running and running, and we're exhausted because we're trying to to grab onto glory. Or think about this. um, Think about getting in touch with transcendence. You know, we all have this longing to sort of butt up against ultimate reality. Maybe, Maybe you've had these moments before where you listen to a song or uh, watch a movie or you see some architecture you, or you, 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 know, you stand before a mountain range or something out in the world and you're just overwhelmed with the beauty of it. You know those moments where you really do feel like, okay, I am transported out of myself and I am tapping into something beyond me. I'm tapping into something mystical here. Sometimes it can happen with an amazing meal Sometimes it can happen with uh, a weekend of belly laughs with your friends, and you feel like you just have, you have experienced glory, and then two days later it starts to fade, and it, and it feels like sand slipping through your fingers, and you can't, you can't hold on to it. You can't grab it. And so if you're anything like me, you try to, you try to recreate those moments. It's like, let's go back to that restaurant with those people, and let's tell the same stories, let's do it again, or let's go back to that, we're going to do that vacation all over again, and sometimes you do it, and you go back, and you try to recapture it, and it's just not quite the same. I mean, it's still great, but it's like the magic, it's elusive, and that's this idea. There's this fundamental, fatal flaw in our quest for glory. We can't grab it. When we are choosing security and transcendence and significance apart from God, it just, it keeps slipping through our fingers. You can't, you can't get a hold of it. That's the flaw, which raises this question, okay, well then what do we do? What do we do when it just feels like we're a bottomless pit and nothing can fill it? Well, let's look at the last thing, the key to true glory. If you notice, um, how the story ends, actually, um, you know, I tacked on verse 10 for a reason. 
the, the book of Genesis uh, is really tracing this one family all the way through. So you've got Adam and Eve, and then you've got you know, Abraham, and you've got Isaac, and you've got Jacob, and you've got Joseph, and you're, you're tracing this family line, and this is the family that God is really uh, investing in to bring about his redemptive agenda for the world. But you have this you know, mega catastrophe, Babel, right in the middle of it. But here's, here's why I added verse 10, because I wanted you to see that the story keeps going. Verse 10, it says, these are the generations of Shem. You know what Shem means in Hebrew? That is the Hebrew word for name, which shows you that God's redemptive plan is going to move forward. The story is going to move forward, but it's going to move forward with the people that he names. And in fact, this becomes crystal clear in the very next chapter. Genesis chapter 12, God goes to one of Shem's great, 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 great grandsons, dude named Abraham. And here's what he says to Abraham. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. God says, I will make your name great. That insatiable hunger that every single one of us has, God says, you can't provide it for yourself, so I will provide it for you. You can't achieve this. You can only receive this. That's why I will provide this for you. In fact, this is what, you step back and you look at the Tower of Babel as a whole. The point of the story is that no matter how hard human beings try to climb up to God and tap into glory, we can't do it. So God comes down. And centuries later, God comes down again. And he comes down in the person of Jesus. And he comes down so much farther than the people of Babel could have ever possibly imagined. Because God leaves his glory and the prestige of heaven, and he comes down as a human being, which is shocking in and of itself. But he becomes an infant, a baby human being, the most vulnerable, the most insecure, the most unstable, the most fragile, and he becomes a baby in a poor family, an economically disadvantaged, economically fragile family. He comes all the way down, giving up all of his glory, all of his security, all of his prestige. And in fact, he doesn't just give up all of that. He even gives up his name. As Jesus grows up and he's homeless and he's penniless and he dies without any possessions on a cross, you know what the point of crucifixion was? It was not just to torture people. It wasn't just to inflict pain on people. It was to remove their name. It was to humiliate them. It was to blackball them, just shame them off the face of the earth. In fact, that's what you see the Roman soldiers doing. As Jesus is strung up on the cross naked, they're mocking him, laughing at him, jeering him, saying, look at, this is your king, this guy? Look at how weak he is. Look at how pathetic and embarrassing he is. This is your king? Why is Jesus giving up his name so that he could give it to you? Why is Jesus giving up his glory so that he could give it to you? Why is Jesus giving up ultimate security 
so that he could give it to you. He earns it and gives it, which means you no longer have to. You know, this is not a prize that you earn by being a good boy or a good girl. This is not something that you go out and you earn with your good behavior and your church attendance and your, you know, your prayer records. This is something that you can only receive because Jesus has already purchased it for you. That's the key. That's the key to true glory. You stop trying to achieve it and you simply receive it by faith. Now, here's where the rubber hits the road. I'll flesh this out for three more minutes and I'll stop. But if you think about our quest and our search and our longing for security, which is a big deal, especially in Memphis these days, when all the conversation seems to be about crime and all this conversation seems to be about how everything's going up and danger's going up and people are longing for security in, in good and right ways. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. This is, this is amazing. He says this, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, I know you hear Jesus talk about hell and everybody kind of freaks out and you stop paying attention, but don't let that override. Like, don't forget what he just said. What he said right before that was, don't be afraid of people because all they can do is kill you. And you hear that and you think, what do you mean that's all that they can do? That's like everything that they can do. That's like the worst thing they can do. And Jesus says, no, it's not. Because they can kill you. They can take your body. And if you have the security that I have purchased for you, if you have the security that you have received from me, that means you have a security that not even death can touch. That's how secure you are. Somebody can take everything from you, and it doesn't even actually ultimately touch you. That is why there is story after story after story throughout the Christian church of Christians who are being escorted to their execution, and they're singing, and they're thanking and praising God for his goodness as they're about to be hung up on a cross or thrown into a gas chamber or tied up on a pole and burned alive. It's not because they have some magical faith that you and I don't. It's because they actually believed, you can kill me, and you know what it's going to do? It's only going to make me more glorious. It's only going to heal me. It's only going to drive me into the arms of the one who is my greatest love. So kill me. It's the worst you can, you know, the, the least you can do for me. That, that is ultimate security. What in the world would it look like if you and I actually believe that? If we really did believe that Jesus has given us an ultimate security that death can't even touch? Uh, one more. What, what about the identity thing? Uh, because you and I long for an identity. We long for a name. And yet, when you look at the cross, what the cross screams at you is that you have, um, you have an identity that is not hooked up to what you do. The cross tells you that you are unconditionally loved. That's your name, loved, which means who you are is no longer dependent on how well you perform. There's this amazing little story, Luke chapter 10. Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples, go out and do some ministry. 
And it was awesome. It was successful. People responded to the preaching. They cast out demons. It was awesome. They're just killing it, crushing it. And they come back and they're amped up. And they tell Jesus how excited they are. And here's what Jesus says in verse 20. He says, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in how awesome y'all are crushing it out there. He says, you know, that don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's not saying you can't celebrate your successes. He's just saying, don't make it your name. That's not what ultimately matters. What ultimately matters is the name that he has given you, and your name is written in heaven, so secure, so unshakable, which means you can go out there and crush it in your fields, dominate, and you can go out there and fall on your face and fail miserably, and it doesn't change who you are in the least. That is an identity that everybody on the planet is longing to get in touch with, to have our names written somewhere that is so secure. It, it doesn't matter how people respond to me. It doesn't, rem- it doesn't matter how successful, how well I'm doing. It doesn't matter how much I can perform. What do we do with all this? How do you get in touch with this? You receive it. You receive it by faith. You shut down the building projects of you trying to build your own security, you trying to build your own transcendence, you trying to build your own name, and to simply receive what Jesus has already purchased for you. The invitation is to stop trying to purchase something that you've already been given for free. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that you would give us eyes to see the glory that Jesus has earned for us, his security, uh, his connection with the divine, his connection with ultimate reality, his name. And I pray, Father, that that love that is so um, unshakable, so secure, that we would not be quick to scoff at, roll our eyes at, but I pray that you would uh, enable us by your Spirit to rest our weary souls in the ocean of this love that has been given and provided for us. Father, help us to see the ways and the areas where we are even uh, unconsciously Uh, building up towers to try to make names for ourselves and help us by your grace to tear them down that we might rest in something infinitely more secure in what we have in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.